All right, thank you guys. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, chapter 15. We pick up where we left off last week, uh, continuing forward with uh, verse 14 and to the end of, of this chapter. And let me welcome you if you're a guest this morning in our service or watching online. And we do encourage you to follow up, get in contact with us so that we can have hopefully a meaningful conversation with you about decisions the Lord is laying on your heart, whether it's committing your life to Christ, what it means to be a follower of Christ, or becoming a part of a church family. <coughs> Excuse me. So we'll look forward to having that opportunity. If you will just text uh, FL Respond to 833-571-3475. One of the things that we talk about a great deal here, and you, you hear it over and over, whether it's in a sermon or leadership, uh, teachers' meetings, your classes, we always talk about being on mission where your feet are. And a part of that is is that we're trying to overcome this institutional mindset that has been so prevalent, <coughs> excuse me, on the Western church that missions, it's kind of an institutional mentality that the Western church has always had that, <coughs> that missions is something done by a group, uh, by someone else, somewhere else, and not us where we are. And so there's really no biblical uh, model for that kind of thinking that missions is the work for someone else to do, but, but not us. And so we, uh, we keep saying this over and over about being missional, being on mission where your feet are, so that we each one will recognize the responsibility that is ours in the course of our day, wherever we're standing, that we are the presence of Christ, that this is where the kingdom of God is being worked out in just the daily intersections of, of life. <clears throat> so we are the presence of Christ. And so uh, hopefully that <clears throat> as we say that continually all the time, it, it, starts to, it, it starts to capture our heart. It captures our mind. It affects the way that we think about ourselves, our identity in Christ, uh, how we approach our day. And hopefully as it impacts our heart, captures our heart, captures our thinking, it will just impact how we live our lives on, on a daily basis. And a heart that is driven by that kind of spirit, nowhere is that more evident than in the life of the Apostle Paul, understanding the impartiality of, of the gospel and what God is accomplishing through the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul, is truly, <clears throat> Paul is truly aware because of what the gospel has done in his life, <laughs> the least likely to have ever been converted to the Christian faith, a Pharisee like Paul, a Hebrew among Hebrews. Paul is fully convinced in his travels, in his missionary endeavors. Paul is, Paul is keenly aware of the possibilities that, that lie within every person person and individual. And so th this is the heart of Paul. This is what drives his missional feet. And if we are to be a people on mission, it takes a, a certain kind of heart. Now we see that heart of Paul in his, uh, in his possibility thinking in the lives of others when he says in, in verse 13, or verse 14, he says, and concerning you, my brothers and sisters, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. Paul's saying, I, I haven't come to you. I don't know you. I've, I've just heard about your, your work. I've heard the kind of people that you are. I didn't establish you as the church in, in Rome, but, but I hear these things about you. And I know that, that, that God has done a work in your life. And as a result, I know that you want to be a part of what God is doing. 
And as we're going to see, Paul has a heart and a desire and a passion to go to Spain, to go as far west as he can possibly go for the furtherance of the gospel. And so this is the heart of Paul. What the gospel has accomplished in his heart and life, what he has heard has been accomplished in the lives of those in the Roman church. Paul wants that to be possibilities for as many people as possible. And as Paul has thoroughly preached the gospel in the East, he knows that there are untold millions in the West that have not been told the gospel. And he wants the church at Rome to be a part of that, to be keenly aware of the influence that they can have in the work that God is doing through the gospel. Same desire he would have for us and that God has for us. But it takes a certain kind of heart. What kind of heart drives those missional feet? Well, the first thing that we see is that it takes a consecrated heart. Certainly characterized Paul when you listen to verses 15. He says, but I have written very boldly to you on some point so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by, by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul chooses an interesting word here in, in describing his own life, how Paul views him, himself and the call of God upon his life. Uh, the word that is translated here as, as minister, Paul could, have used, uh, Paul could have used any number of words that could have even been translated as minister. Paul could have used the word doulos, which is normally translated as, as slave, servant. Paul could have used the word, he could have utilized the word diakonos, uh, minister, servant, to describe how he perceived himself. But Paul uses a word here, liturgion, liturgion that it sounds like liturgy. And Paul says, I, I see myself as holding a, a high priestly office because of, uh, because of the call of God upon my life, what the gospel has accomplished in my life, and because I understand the mission of the church and the task that has been entrusted to us. Paul says that we as believers, we are holding on to a high priestly office. We are, in fact, the liturgion. We, we, we are the distributors of the liturgy, that which is a sacred right. And when you have that understanding that you and I hold a priestly office, that we are the dispensers of the liturgical, we are the dispensers of the holy, we have been entrusted with the holy, changes every facet of your life. You realize that as believers and followers of Christ, if I'm a liturgian, if I'm, a, if I'm truly a priest and understand that uh, this office of what it is to be a priest, then, then you and I don't have, have the benefit of separating our existence and our world into the secular and the sacred. To be a to be a part of those that are called by God, entrusted with this missional task, it means I understand that all of life is sacred. That everything we do in life is liturgical. It is handling the sacred in our witness before others. Putting our arm around someone to comfort, that's a liturgical moment. Sitting down and writing a note to someone, that is a liturgical moment moment. That is being the presence of Christ. When we talk about being on mission, we're not talking about handing out tracts or bombing somebody, beating someone over the head with the four spiritual laws. That's fine in some circumstances. 
But we're talking about being a presence, a holy presence in the world in which we live and we are doing things. We recognize the sacredness of life in the intersections of our daily life, the daily things that we do. These are liturgical moments where the kingdom of God is revealed and made known. That's what it is to be on mission where your feet are. It's really a remarkable insight into Paul. A remarkable insight into how Paul views himself. And that's significant. I mean, even behavioral scientists will tell you that, that your self-awareness, your self-perception, how you see yourself is very much going to shape how you act out in life. And Paul says that, that I as a believer and that we as believers, we should see ourselves as holding this, this high priestly office and we should act it out accordingly wherever our feet are. I mean, this, this, this view of the sacred, that, that everything we do is a liturgical moment, a liturgical rite that makes known and reveals the presence of God in real time. Listen, this is what helps us to overcome the grind and the mundane of just the little things in life. I mean, we're going to see in just a moment, Paul traveled from Jerusalem to, to uh, in verse 19, we see that Paul traveled in his journeys and his missionary endeavors from Jerusalem to Illyricum, 1,400 miles. I mean, it, th 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 these are just dusty roads that Paul's, that Paul's walking and preaching in sandals, no less. Can you imagine the day in, day out grind of what Paul's life must have been? Probably not unlike our life a great deal. When we can find ourselves in these ruts, the mundane, getting up, going to work, doing the same thing over and over. But listen, if you have this, this understanding of what it is to be the liturgion, it makes the most mundane thing in our day. It makes it into something that is sacred and used by God. Paul saw himself as being consecrated by God for a consecrated service to God. There's a second thing that is highlighted here in regard to the heart of Paul and, and certainly must characterize our hearts as well if we are to have missional feet. Not only must our hearts be consecrated, but, but Paul also reveals a single-minded heart. Paul was not like James says, a double-minded man that dabbled in the things of the world and dabbled in the things of God over here. Paul had, Paul had a single-minded heart. Therefore, he says, verse 17, therefore in Christ Jesus, I have found reason. This is his reason for boasting. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and all around as far as Illyricum, it's somewhat of an arc from the southeast of Jerusalem up to, up to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel. Now, when I, when I say Paul had a single-minded heart, this is, what, this is what I want you to notice in, in Paul's words. 
Paul has extracted himself. When he chooses to boast in Christ Jesus alone, Paul is essentially saying, I have extracted myself from the rat race of human accomplishments. I have, I've extracted myself, I have withdrawn myself from the rat race of one-upmanship in human achievement. Trying to gain the, the favor of man doesn't impress me. Try to fit in with a particular group, it's neither here, that doesn't charge my batteries. Trying to have a, a position of standing that impresses others, that doesn't float my boat. Seeing what God is accomplishing through Christ Jesus, I boast in Christ alone. It's revolutionary. Listen, that's transformational thinking right there. There is nothing more freeing for you as a believer and follower of Christ when you can embrace this model right here. When you live your life for an audience of one alone, when you live your life each day with the full knowledge that someday I'm going to stand before God and give an account of my life, there is nothing more freeing than that because it extracts you from the rat race of achieving and acquiring everything else that everyone else is, is aspiring to. Not Paul. Single-minded heart. Boasting in Christ alone. Now, that would have... I think that when I read this about Paul, I think there's some very real temptations that, that Paul, I think, naturally had to face. It would be very easy for Paul to boast about what he's doing. In fact, when his apostleship is being questioned in Corinth, uh, you know, Paul, Paul makes a statement that I worked harder than all the other apostles. And, and it would be very easy for Paul to, to boast. It would also be very easy for Paul to complain, to whine. Be very easy for Paul to say, well, you know, I don't see all these other apostles. I don't read about them being snake bit, shipwrecked. I don't read about them being stoned and, and beaten. I know Barnabas always seems to come out pretty good and keep his hands clean. Man, James and Peter up there in Jerusalem, they don't seem to ever get their hands dirty. You see, you see what could have happened in, in, in Paul's mind? He didn't get caught up in all that. He wasn't, he wasn't comparing to what he was doing and what somebody else is doing. Who's doing more? Who's doing less? Who's suffering more? Who's suffering, suffering less? Woe is me. Not Paul. Paul. Paul's fixated on Christ, what he's done. Very easy to start thinking in kingdom life like you've done something. It's kind of like, kind of like the, kind of like the old farmer that had taken this old abandoned, had this, had taken this field where nothing had really been done, planted a beautiful garden, and a neighboring farmer came over and looked at this. He said, "Man, it's really impressive what you have done, what what's what's been done." He said, "You know," uh, he said to his farmer friend that had just landscaped all of this. He said, "God has blessed you with a beautiful garden, hasn't He?" And the farmer that had done all the work said, oh, in, <coughs> indeed, God has. <clears throat> but you should have seen all this when God had it to himself. <laughs> and we can all fall into that trap of doing something for the kingdom, and all of a sudden we think it's about our power, our strength, our ingenuity, our creativity, finding ways to get it out there for others to know about it. I remember when... My daughter, Courtney, was about three. I was at my first pastorate 
<clears throat> I had to go back up to the church one evening and went to the office and Courtney wanted to ride along with me and so as we were going I was turning out the lights when we were leaving the office and she runs down that corridor that hallway and there's two there's two large glass doors that go out into the in into the parking lot and Courtney said daddy I'll open the door and she takes off running ahead of me and she hits that door and she starts and it's just a dead stop big old heavy door she's straining uh, you know by the time and when I get up there I just put my hand on top of the door and I push and she looked around at me, and she was so proud of what she had done. Unaware that it was my hand that had opened the door. How often it is that we think we have achieved something. That we have accomplished something for the kingdom of God. We have opened the door. When in fact it was the unseen hand of God and his power and his purposes I was doing the work Paul was a man that had a consecrated heart he had a single-minded heart that's why I would say in Galatians 6 14 may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ but Paul also had a visionary heart and you know his vision, you know his desire is to go to Spain. And he now begins to revisit that. He says in verse 20, and in this way, I aspired. I like that word. I aspired. I wanted more. I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with, with where I am, with what's been accomplished. And in this way, I aspired to preach the gospel, not not where Christ was already known by, by name, so that I would build on another person's foundation. But just as it is written, they who have not been told about him will see, and they who have not heard will, will understand. Paul's desire is to pave new ground, reach people that have never been reached. Listen, that, that's when mission work is being done, not when we shuffle the decks of the saints and just pass them around. You know, my predecessor here, Dr. D.L. Lowry, told me first week when I was here over 20 years ago, Dr. Lowry told me, he said, now, Pastor, you stay here long enough, you will eventually pastor every Baptist in Lubbock. It's the idea that Baptists are notorious for just moving, Baptists get disgruntled and they just move from congregation to congregation, moving lettered and letters all around to the churches. And frankly, there's some churches that take great delight in that. We're not one of them. Because that's not mission work. That's just reduff, reshuffling the deck. That's just, that's just going where another man has gone. Not very effectively, by the way. It's not just sharing the saints. When we talk about doing kingdom work, when we talk about a missional work that is being accomplished, it's how are we reaching, how on a daily basis, in our liturgical role, our priestly role as a people of God, how are we being the presence of Christ and how are we being a ministering presence for those that in this post-church post culture, in this post-Christian culture, how are we bearing witness to them of the presence of Christ, the kingdom of God before them right now? Paul has a vision for more 
than what has been done. He's not satisfied with those that are just sitting in the church house now. He says in verse 22, for this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. But now with no further place for me in these regions, over in the east from Jerusalem to Illyricum, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. There's, here's Paul's purpose in writing. I want you to be a part of this work. When I have first enjoyed your company for a while, but now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints, delivering the famine relief offering that he has been gathering up so that there might be some, some sense of understanding that, that these Gentile believe, these Gentile converts are taking up this offering for the benefit of Jewish believers and that these Jewish believers, seeing the work of these Gentile converts, would recognize that the veil between the holy ones, the Jews, the people of God, that no longer is that veil, no longer is there any kind of separation between Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian, weak and strong. All of that has been obliterated. But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do so and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, that which was given to the Jews, they are indebted to do them a service also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, an idiom there of signed seal delivered, I will go on by way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. This is the vision of Paul's heart. This is the vision, his passion. This is what keeps him going. Listen, the wisdom writer said a long time ago, where there is no vision, the people perish. Paul is a man of vision that is, this vision is an absolute necessity in his life. And if this kind of vision, if this kind of goal, if this kind of ambition is, is, is a part of the life of the Apostle Paul, it is, a, it is by absolute necessity a vision that is needed for our life as well. You see, it's not so much, and the idea that the people of God perish without, without vision, without vision, you just, you just enter into mediocrity. Without a vision for your life, who you are and what you're supposed to be as a child of God, the, the work of which you, you are to be a part, without that vision, you just fall into a, par, a, a pattern of life that, that is just random in nature. But it's only as you have this vision that you have what is necessary to keep you going forward into the providential purposes of God. And the vision that God gave to Paul and the vision that God gives to us, it's always forward. It's never settling. And there's a great many who would just settle for what we do here on Sunday perfectly content in their religious experience to sit soaked and sour in a sanctuary for one hour. 
But a vision that God gives to his people is always forward. David Livingston said it best, Dr. David Livingston, when he interviewed when he volunteered for service with the London Missiological Society, they asked him where he wanted to go. He said, I'll go anywhere as long as it's forward. When I read that, I thought about, I thought about the account of Frank Howard when he was athletic director at Clemson University. During that time when Title IX came into being, whenever they were going to, uh, they needed to create a balance, uh, equality between uh, the number of scholarships provided to male student athletes and female student athletes. And so every university was having to revisit this. There was some sports, athletic teams that they were going to have to get rid of where it's easier to cre create parity. And anyway, as, as the athletic department at Clemson was brainstorming over there, someone had the idea and presented to Frank Howard that they established crewing teams. He said, crewing? Never heard of crewing. What's crewing? He said, well, you know, coach, rowing, rowing a boat. He said, rowing? He said, we ain't going to have no sport at Clemson where you sit down and go backwards. Forward thinker. Life is about going forward. And a vision to do that is of absolute necessity. Because here's, what, here, here's the necessity of that vision. First of all, th this kind of, of vision, the necessity of it, is that this kind of vision gives you guidance, and boundaries, and structures for your life. The kind of vision that Paul had kept him going forward. It gave him guidance. It gave him boundaries. It gave him structures for the life that he was going to live. Also, out of necessity, when you have this vision for your life and what you are to be about as a person of God, as a follower of Christ, this becomes the catalyst. This vision is the catalyst of everything that you do. This vision of God's call on your life that you are in charge of the holy. This impacts every arena of your life. It is the catalyst of everything you touch and do in life. But it also establishes, third, thirdly, it establishes the discipline that is necessary to acquire your goals, objectives, and ambitions. It provides the discipline that is necessary to reach your objectives, your goals, your ambitions. Those will not be done apart from discipline. Now, a good working definition of discipline, and we, we make choices every day that reflect whether we are disciplined or undisciplined. Discipline is seeing something that you know you ought to do. It's doing something that you know you ought to do. I don't want to do it, but I do it anyway. That's discipline. Or flip it. Discipline is seeing something I'd really like to do. I really want to do that. But I know I really ought not do that. And so I don't do it. That's discipline. And when you have that kind of vision in your life, there is a power provided by God when we have honored him with this vision of our life. There is a power that is inherent. Let me tell you about the power 
of this vision. This is the route. The power of this vision is that it is the route of escape in your life. If you don't have, if you don't have a vision for your life as a follower of Christ, if you don't have a vision of what we are to be about, if you don't have a vision of understanding of who we are to be and how we are to live our life sacredly every day in every arena in life where our feet are, if you don't have that, you're stuck in a rut. You're just making bigger and bigger ruts. You're just getting up to the randomness of the day. But if you have a vision, this is, this is an escape from the rut. Having a vision for your life is the only thing that will escape, allow you to escape out of the, out of the mundaneness of just everyday living, living and random living. A second thing I would share with you in regard to the power of, of vision in your life is that this kind of vision is the key to, to sustained energy. This is the key to sustained energy. The popular buzzword the past 30 years, everybody wants to talk about burnout. I'm not real sure about that. Maybe if you don't have a vision, you will burn out. I, I think more people experience cooling off than they do burning out. The human body, the human mind, the human heart has an incredible capacity. Capacity for, for pain, it's beyond anything that we could even imagine. What our bodies and our minds and our hearts can take. I think we cool off, not burn out. Show me someone who thinks they're burnout, out and most likely it's a person that has no vision. This vision is something that gets you up every day. You wake up thinking about it. You go to bed thinking about it. It sustains you in the energy levels of your life. It also, fourthly, this kind of vision heightens awareness. It heightens awareness and priorities. When I'm locked in on who I am as a child of God, as a follower of Christ, when I have that kind of vision, of, that is going forward in nature, I, 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 it heightens my awareness, changes my priorities. Listen, saying no is a learned craft. Saying no is a learned craft. You become aware of what are the things that, that, what are the things that, that I'm being confronted with? What is it that increases the possibility, the forward advancement of becoming what God would have me to be? of how God would have me to serve, and what detracts from that. You become keenly aware of these things if you have a vision. And then finally, I would say that this is a vision that will define you. When we have this vision of faith in Christ, what it means to be a follower of Christ, this will define you, this vision. It will define who you are. It will define, it is so defining that it defines how you use your time, your energy, and your resources. Because listen, if you, don't, if you don't define who you are, other people are going to find a way to define who you are. People are going to try to impose upon you their preferences, their opinions. But not if you're locked in on a vision. You've learned to say no. We're confronted with thou literally thousands of decisions and choices on a daily basis. 
What are the ones that contribute to the kingdom of God, my being the presence of Christ, and the opportunities of those who have not yet heard the gospel? But you've got to have a vision, a visionary heart like Paul. Finally, you have to have a praying heart. Paul says in verse 30, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be rescued. Two things he asked of the Roman church to pray for him. That I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Both of those prayers were answered in the affirmative. It wasn't an easy path. You go back to Acts chapter 21 and start reading to the end of Acts. It was a tough road. The prayers were answered, but but it wasn't easy. So that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and relax in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is no minor footnote for Paul. Paul sees prayer and he's just come out of a section about unity. Prayer is one of those things, if if prayer is the thing that joins us together, unites us together in our thinking and in our mind, being of the same mind, of the same voice, in regard to who we are and what we're to be about. Prayer is that which binds us together for a common cause and a common purpose. And listen, this prayer that Paul is talking about, that Paul elsewhere would say to pray unceasingly, Seek always to pray, Jesus would say. Listen, church, in this modern era, this is the best way of staying out of your own head. Spending too much time in your own head. This kind of prayer right here is the most effective way of keeping your arrows pointed outward. Making it about others. Because that's really what our existence is about as the church. It's about others. And more especially, it's about those who are not here. Who have not yet had opportunity to rightly see the presence of God in their midst. With with just one trifling exception, the world is made up of others. And that's to be our focal point. And so prayer in Paul's mind, in Paul's thinking. Prayer is the key, the vital key that drives missional feet. Let's pray together. Father, might we truly have hearts that are consecrated to you and to your service. Might we be single-minded in our heart and our desire to bring honor and glory to you to celebrate the work that you do and that you are accomplishing in this world that we might have that visionary heart that keeps us pressing forward into the work and the cause of the kingdom, never being satisfied with just what's been done in the past, and that our praying hearts might drive our missional feet as we seek to be your presence in the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.